bring value, form strategic alliances, always raise capital, don't have lazy money, and listen to your spouse. Just some of the advice you will hear from this episode's guest. Dave Seymour, a retired 16-year veteran of the Boston Fire Service, who launched his real estate career over a decade ago. Dave was also the star of A&E's hit show, Flipping Boston. He is now the CEO of Freedom Venture, a boutique private equity real estate firm. Dave and Joe talk about how Dave went to fighting fires to flipping houses. They both give you some much-needed advice when it comes to investing in real estate and what you need to look out for. Plus, how you can always put your retirement money to work. Let's just get right down to business. The Joe Robert Show. This, this is The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. Hello, Dave. Welcome to the show. Let's get rolling by giving us a brief background about yourself for the listeners. Yeah, sure, man. Hi, my name is Dave Seymour. You might recognize me from that. No, that's a different hit TV show. Look, Dave Seymour, yeah, I'm the CEO of Freedom Venture Investments. I was uh, on the TV show Flip in Boston. I've been, real estate has, has been kind of like the, the bread and butter, if you will. The, the joy of sticks and bricks investing has been rocking and rolling now for quite a while. I was um, I'm actually an immigrant to this country. If you put me on the phone with my old man back in London, Joe, you know what I mean, mate? I'll end up talking like that and your listeners won't understand half of what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? So uh, yeah, I, I came, to the, uh, came to the States when I was 20 years old following my first wife. It's amazing the power of love and lust take you all the way around the world at 20 years old. You know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah. uh, I came to the States, bopped around a little bit. I lived in Wheeling by God, West Virginia, lived in New York City, and eventually landed up here in the Northeast uh, where I am today, just, just north of Boston. But you know, entrepreneurship is a, it's a, it's a finicky thing, my friend. It's a finicky thing. You know, we, I, I gave up, uh, I gave up working 120 hours a week for somebody else between I was a firefighter and a paramedic, worked construction on my days off and then part-time at nights because it was, it was it's not funny. It was freaking painful is what it was. I was a financial donkey, financial illiterate. I didn't come from Yale. Luckily, I didn't come from jail either. Didn't come from Harvard University. Um, I'm definitely a blue collar guy in a white collar world today. But, um, you know, with that lack of financial intelligence came... Uh, Came some serious problems for me. I was spending a lot more than I earned back in those days. Keeping up with the Joneses, got to get a new car, blah, 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 right? Uh, it was pretty crappy. And yeah, 120 hours a week, $70,000 in unsecured debt. And in 2007, I was losing my house in a pre-foreclosure scenario and it was going to a short sale. So, um, you know, I was married with a then eight-year-old son and uh, it just was a crappy, crappy scenario. But anyway, look... <sighs> You know, the firefighting mentality is when everybody else goes running out, we go running in, right? Yeah. Right. And I kind of, I kind of look at, I kind of look at life that way today, you know, you know, 2008, the market corrected slightly, just a little bit. And that's when I started real estate. I was a product of a, of a seminar. It, it was interesting, man. For the first time in my life, I started hearing things that I, I hadn't heard before. It was like the, the personal development journey of all of this. You know what I'm saying? Guy said to me, if you, if you, uh, he, you know what he said? I never forgot this, man. It was like a dagger in my heart. Guy says to me, show me who somebody gets their financial advice from, and I'll show you what their financial future looks like. Yeah, that's good. Oh, right. And I thought, yeah, my dad worked his ass off and had nothing. His father worked his ass off and had nothing. Looks like I'm destined to work my ass off and have nothing. <laughs> oh, this is fun, right? He said that, uh, you know, trading time for money is a loser's bet. And I thought to myself, well, that's a little 
you know, unappreciative of the working class American. But what the man was saying was, is that, you know, if somebody else is controlling your financial destiny, you know, what does that look like? 401ks, retirement accounts, you know, let somebody else manage your money for you. Why? Because you're so unintelligent, like you're so stupid, you don't know how to manage your own money. Like we're, we're sold a bag, of, a bag of goods, man. And this guy kind of shook it up a little bit. And I'd always known that real estate had huge upside potential, right? I mean, the, the one percenters, ooh, those evil, <laughs> evil one percenters right? They've been playing the real estate game for, for generations. And I remember when I was working as a my, my small construction company on my days off from the fire department, this car pulled up one day. Now you got a picture of this. It's like, I don't know, zero degrees in Boston. I'm trying to bust through the frozen dirt to pour concrete in for a deck. And these, these investors showed up at this property and they were driving a really nice car. And they were wearing really nice clothes. And they had really big, white, shiny teeth smile. And the, the women smelled better. And the dudes looked better. And they were happy. And I hated them. I hated every fiber in their body. <laughs> and I thought to myself, they're not that much smarter than me. I started asking them questions. And it, it was like they were just doing something different. And, and those were the seeds that were sowed. Anyway, that's how it all started, brother. I, I ended up going to a seminar, reevaluating my 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 mind, my mental uh, gymnastics were was shaken up, and uh, I started. You know, two thousand eight, nine, ten. If you asked anybody uh, back then, if you know, if if you said you were in real estate, they said, "Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry." Right? You remember? It was like a terminal illness back then. So that's where it all began, brother. So any part of being the firefighter kind of help grow the kahunas, you know, into real estate or what? Yeah, that's such a good question. It, it was that, right? Uh, like I looked at it this way. My, my partner today is ex-military, saw some some serious stuff in the, uh, in the Kosovo um, uh, theater uh, back in the day. And he and I had this discussion the other day and they said, you know what? In real estate, there are no real emergencies. Like as a firefighter, I know what a real emergency looks like. You know, I've seen people who didn't make it. I've, I've seen, you know, things that I don't want to remember, as is he. So, you know, when you go into a, a, an offering situation or a negotiation situation or today, you know, we manage, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of other people's money. It's like, I know what a real emergency looks like. I'm comfortable making those decisions today. So, yeah, you know, having the big cojones to go out and, uh, you know, swing the pen um, is is definitely part of the game. But look, you know this, man. It's real simple. When your education and what you're doing is at its height, if you're on point, if you know exactly, you know, what, what new nuances are coming into a marketplace, you've got the underlying data to make sure that you're uh, making the very best decisions, then um, it becomes an easier game to play. It really does. It's like, you know, without getting too corny, it's we hedge the downside and we accelerate the upside. Well, what does that mean? It means I know what the hell I'm freaking doing. You know what I mean? It means I know I know where the where the potholes are, uh, so that we don't we don't fall down on any one of these assets. But yeah, I think the fire. You know what it was also about the fire department, Joe, was when I go, I want to go with the right people, right? I want to look <laughs> to my left and I want to look to my right. I don't want to see no slacker, you know. I don't want to see somebody who doesn't have the balls to get in the game and execute. And it's the same in real estate, who I go to war with, my team, my management team, my construction teams, my, you know, my, my property management teams. I mean, that, that's the same 
feeling, if you will. And it hurts my body a little less as well, which is always nice. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not carrying a rather, a rather rotund individual down three flights of stairs, you know, either in a bird in building for a medical call anymore. So yeah. Hey, yeah. It, it, it keeps someone in shape though, right? It keeps someone yeah, in shape. I mean, that's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Look at you, Mr. Fit. Yeah. I get you. I know. I know. So, I mean, I, I, you know, what I'm taking out there too, is that definitely, you know, when we talk about team, right. I, I, I see that, uh, you know, many entrepreneurs, whether, you know, they're getting yeah. started in real estate or just any business that some of the biggest struggle they have is getting those right people in place that could ultimately help drive the success of a team. What are some things that have worked for you in getting those, you know, important hires? Yeah, that's great. That's a great question for me, man. I'm a big picture thinker. Like the details make me want to pull my, my, my eyes out. You know what I mean? So for me in, in building a team, I want loyalty. It's so important to me. Like I am, I'm the kind of guy who's more interested in giving away a small piece of a big pie and taking a, you know, a big piece of a small pie. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. You get it. Yeah. I just I like it. to eat pie. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to eat some pie. I'm starving, Marvin. All right. Seriously, teams. I don't want to be the smartest person in any room. If I'm the smartest person in a room, I'm in the wrong room. So building the right marketing infrastructure, systems, automation around me. I don't know how to run a Facebook ad. I have no freaking interest in learning how to run a Facebook ad, right? So when it comes to marketing for tenants, marketing for deals, uh, surround yourself with a fantastic marketing department. Authenticity is critical. I don't want somebody to blow smoke up my ass. I'm not interested in it. I don't want you to tell me how cool I was on a TV show. Don't give a shit. It's not important. Uh, what's important is, is what values are we all bringing to the table? How do we execute? And more importantly, how do we service others, right? So you got to be aligned, I feel. Uh, you haven't got to do anything. Do whatever you want. I ain't your daddy. But it's a really good idea to get yourself aligned with people who have the same values you do and then skills that you don't have. I think, uh, I think my, my job as CEO of our company today is really threefold. Number one is to always raise capital. Right. You always got to be raising money, period, 24-7. That's, that's, that's what I do. Number two is to simplify what appears to be complicated. I think that is a task of a CEO that needs to be done consistently. Otherwise, especially in big business, and I, I would assume the same in small business, you could get really stuck in the minutiae, man. You can get stuck in the details, and then there's no progress, right? I don't seek uh, perfection. I seek progress in what we do, right? It doesn't have to be perfect, and you don't have to know everything before you do something. That, that's just, you know, that's just the, the, the kryptonite for, for, for business growth is, oh, I got to know everything. I can't do anything unless I get all the details. No, you don't, stupid. Make some mistakes and fall forward. So simplify what appears complicated. And then finally is strategic alliances, right? What is podcasting if it's not a strategic alliance, right? We're going to share this podcast to your network. I'm going to share it to mine. Maybe some of the, uh, the, you know, the conversation brings some value to somebody and they say, you know what, it's worth reaching out and connecting with that person to ask questions. That's, that's a strategic alliance, whether it's, you know, business coaching, business mentorship, like I've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in myself in, in, in building a team around me to make sure that I execute with proficiencies. Otherwise, I'm just busy doing busy work and not making any progress. So, you know, my team is, is what carries me forward. And the most important member of my team is my wife. I'll be honest with you, right? She's the rock, the rock that I get to stand on so I can look cool. Without her, I'm nothing anyway. So I can admit that today. <laughs> so, yeah, so how, how long have you guys been together? And do you guys work together? 
No, we tried at the beginning. Uh, we've been together 18 years. Uh, we just picked up a 15-year wedding anniversary. We actually met in a labor and delivery room. She was a labor and delivery nurse. I was a paramedic in training. And we, we met delivering another, another woman's baby. Not the most romantic of environments, but hey, it worked for us, you know? But uh, yeah, she, uh, she tried to, to stay in business with me when I started. And I guess I'm not easy to keep up with because I'm all in or I'm all out. And she couldn't read my mind, which was a problem. I want you to just do what I want you to do when I want you to do it, how I want you to do it. Let's execute. Let's go, baby, go. And she would ask way too many questions. So we, we made a decision that we play the old Victorian roles. And, you know, she's, she really is the rock I get to stand on. I, I, I say that in, in sincerity as well, because, you know, she's raised um, or is raising my, my two boys, uh, 11 and 9. Jefferson is 11, Bennett's 9. So she's got the hardest job raising small boys to be good men. She takes great care of our home environment. I don't want for anything. Um, and I go out and kill dinosaurs and bring on the bacon. So it works, <laughs> you know, it works. Well, I think this is very important for our listeners to, you know, understand is that partners, whether it's in business or in relationship that, I mean, you need to have strong partners everywhere in order to be very successful. Laura reciprocity, right? It's also a good business, um, business uh, philosophy. Um, reciprocity is a wonderful thing. And look, part of my journey was learning how to ask a question which was uncomfortable in the beginning, right? And the question was, hey, Joe, I'm Dave. Nice to meet you. How can I help you? What can I do for you, brother? Right? Like today, it's a normal, it's a, just a normal part of my conversation. But for some reason, I don't know whether it was just me culturally or whatever the case was, you know, we live in a world where people are like, what's in it for me? Me first. <laughs> Give me mine. Right? Give me mine. I'm important. And you know, that doesn't work in business. You got to serve other people first. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And the only that what comes to my mind is, you know, at, at to what point is also maybe a lot of people within the world just also in survival mode, right? At first, oh, you got sure. to get out of that survival standpoint to be able to take care of yourself. So you're like, I'm, I need to claw out of there. And then, you know, I think yeah. that's kind of with maturity and success, I'll call it. I think that kind of gives people more the ability to then take the other side and provide for others a lot easier, right? Yeah, look, man, there's a, I, it's actually on my wall over here. It's a Zig Ziglar comment, right? Or a <laughs> Zig Ziglar quote. Like, I'm old school, baby. You know what I mean? It says, you can have everything in life you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want, right? That's, that's the service piece. I don't care what your product or service is, sticks or bricks, uh, whether you're whatever, right? We, we, we service other people, find out what they need first, serve that need, and then you'll get taken care of. I think that's that's the reciprocity. And look, even in, you know, let's, let's bring it to today in the COVID environment, right? Everybody's in survival mode, as you put it. But that's chaos, right? That's chaos. And out of every chaotic scenario comes massive opportunities. And, you know, we saw it in 2008, brother, there was two sides of the equation. There were victims and there were victors, right? Victims and victors. So I think this is, this is the same thing. You know, what side of the equation do you want to be on? Do you want to like, you know, flip, flip off COVID and go at it, right? Step into it, lean into it. Or do you want to like hide in your cellar with your mask on and, um, you know, say, oh my God, the world's going to end. Now, I'm not, I'm not playing down the, the severity of, of the crisis. That's not what I'm doing. I get it. But you know what? It's not going to rule me. It's, not, it's just not. That's not who I am. You know what I mean? 
if every time I faced adversity, I crumbled in the corner and cried and put my, my thumb in my mouth, right? It will be over. You know, it will be over. So step into it, baby. Step up and lean in. I agree. I agree. Well, let's roll on to, I mean, you were, uh, you had the gig on the A&E, right? Yeah. Flipping, flipping yeah. Boston. I mean, give yeah. us some insight into how does somebody land that type of gig, right? Or how they go about getting it? Yeah, great, great question. I'm, I'm always asked it and the answer never changes. It's, it's really quite a, quite a story in and of itself. I told you I went to a seminar and I, be, I began to learn real estate, right? And I started in there and next thing you know, I'm going to some other guy's seminar and another guy's seminar and I'm buying bullshit in a box for a thousand bucks. You know, it was this home study course and that home study course. But long story short, there was a guy who was selling websites and, um, you know, buyers, website, sellers, website, money, website. So I spent the five grand for the websites. And this guy was a firefighter out in uh, Los Angeles. And I was still on the fire department here in the Boston market. And he was terrible on stage, man. He was horrible. He was like just unengaging. He wasn't funny. He was trying to be funny. It was painful to watch. Anyway, I go up to him. I go, hey, dude, I go, I'm Dave. I said, uh, yeah. I bought your websites. And he's the big guru guy, right? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I go, yeah. I go, by the way, your comedy sucks. <laughs> he goes, what? I go, your comedy sucks, bro. He's like, what do you mean? I said, look, man, I did a little stand-up comedy back in London. Nothing big. I'm not famous. I said, but, you know, your timing's all off, this and that. And he goes, what? Now I grabbed his attention because I told him he sucked, right? And he says to me, you did comedy? I said, a little bit. He goes, all right, you're my new comedy coach. He says, I'm going to fly you to Orlando. I'm going to pay you $1,000 for three days. And you're going to critique me on my presentation at my three-day mastermind thing here going on. And I'm like, you're full of shit. You're going to do that. <laughs> and he did. He did. Dude, back then I was waiting for the phone to ring so I could earn 200 bucks in an overtime for 14 hours. You know what I mean? Like that was my mindset. This cat's going to give me $1,000, fly me to Orlando. You all right? I'm like, okay. So that was it. And now I get on the inside now. I'm on the education side. I'm with the gurus. And I'm like, I'm hanging out with um, Russell Bronson and, and Gary Vanachuk and all these guys who are big and famous. They were all in this little group back then. And I'm like, who are these guys? Well, they were info marketers. They were the next generation. And it was Russell Brunson sent an email out saying, hey, Dave, you're a funny bastard. You should go, you should go apply for this TV show. So I, I sent in an application. Uh, it was just online. I loaded it with profanity to make sure that they read it. You know, name me a company. Go yourself LLC is what I put on there. Uh, don't call me. Get on a plane, train, automobile. Come to Boston. I'm a firefighter. When everybody else runs out, we run in. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And um, that was how it started. They called, I hung up on them and they came out and they did a little mini sizzle reel and we got picked up. That's awesome. That is awesome. That's an interesting out of the box type of way to get a job, right? Well, here's what it was. I had known enough from the info marketers that I was around that you got to learn how to make noise. Got to make noise. Uh, everybody wants to be relevant, right? Everybody wants to be relevant. And, you know, bad press attracts attention. Great press attract, attracts attention. Got to get some noise going, Bubba. Get it going. And that's what I did. And they came out. And then we started trying to make a TV show. And what a trip that was. The very first thing I learned was a very special saying. And it's called bending reality. 
because that's what we do with reality TV. We just <laughs> bend it a little bit. <laughs> and we started making shows. And look, the first four we did were 100% authentic. Everything that went shitty was real. They really did steal tools from the job site. You know, I really did have pipes burst and all kinds of stuff. But then when you, we, we were a hit, we, we were like the highest rated um, show ever in the time slot on a Saturday morning for A&E. And with that came, oh, you guys are awesome. Give us 13 more episodes. And I'm like, what? Stop it, 13 episodes. We don't have enough houses coming in. So we, we turned everything up real fast. And then when you're just trying to do volume for those TV shows, you know, then they get stupid. You know, the numbers are stupid. Let's let's smear some black paint on the wall and say it's a you know it's a crack house. That's what some of the other shows did. And we're like, no, I ain't gonna do that. I know what we'll do. We'll put a stripper pole in the corner of the room and we'll call it a stripper house. Stop it. The stripper came in and stripped the house of everything, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So, but it, look in New England. I mean, our stock is old, brother. We got some. We got some old ass houses. I mean, we did one. Um, it was a brick building. It was 1812. It was the oldest all-boys school in Newburyport, Massachusetts. And we converted it into two high-end condos on the TV show. We, you can't do that, you know, in six weeks, man. That's, that's eight months, nine months of, of TV and filming and stuff going right and stuff going wrong. But look, what TV did for me was it made me an instant expert. Say that again. TV made me an instant expert. Why does everybody have to write a book? Oh, I got a book. Really? Yeah, I'm an expert. Doesn't matter whether, right? I had a TV show. I'm an expert, right? I know idiots who have books and TV shows. They ain't experts. You know what I mean? So how did that, how did, I mean, how, <laughs> so how, you how, don't know what to ask me, do you? You had no idea what kind of guests you were going like, to get I was today. like thinking back, like I've seen some people I just follow on Facebook and this, and they're out there with the biggest, loudest mouse. And I really know what's going on behind the doors and they, they're not what the public is perceiving yeah. Yeah. or they're screwing people over. And I'm just like, man, yes. like, uh, yes. People are quick to trust those that build authority or we'll call it our public figure without actually yes. knowing the underlying yes. thing. And I think that's a part of the problem that we face today with the internet. And, you know, especially, obviously we're talking about real estate and syndication is how do you watch out for, you know, those we'll call them authority or expert figures that may not actually be great managers. Right. Yeah. It's such a good question. Cause it's true, right? It's easy to, to make the, the front door look good. Right. Let's take it to a house flipping analogy. All right. I left all the mold behind the wall and I just painted it. Does that make me a good guy? No, it makes you a scumbag. Right. So it's the same in this world. Look, if I was going to give you, if I was going to give, you know, the folks that listen to this some real solid nuggets, you know, you don't write the check after, you know, watching two or three videos. You know what I mean? If you're getting a PPM without being verified as an accredited investor, <laughs> then your guy's a donkey. He's not even following the rules of the game or your girl, right? Do your due diligence. Now with us, we're perfect. You can write me a check after the first video. <laughs> watch, watch this in, in sincerity, okay? It takes time to build a relationship just like anything else. What I will tell you is this, is just because the guy or the girl has, you know, 50 million or, or a billion under management, doesn't mean they've been making all of their quarterly distributions on time, okay? It uh, doesn't mean that they've met, met all their targeted returns. 
be very, very cognizant of the waterfalls that they put on the back end of a syndicated um, asset. You might, it might look really good with an 8% pref on the back end, but when you go into a 90-10 waterfall in favor of the GP, guess what? You're really only getting a 4% return at the end of it all, right? So bring some intelligence. What, what we've done is this, and we've, we've been very um, cognizant of it, like really succinct around it, is I only want to take in capital from investors who are educated. And what I mean is, is educated in what, what is the investment? How does it work? What is a core asset? What is a core plus? What is a value add? What is an opportunistic? What is the hold time? Is it three years? Is it 72 months? What is a fund? Why do I want to be in a fund instead of a syndicated deal? Why do I want to be in a syndicated deal instead of a fund? What is a liquid asset? What is an illiquid asset? What are the benefits of an illiquid asset? What are the benefits of a liquid asset? Like there is a lot going on here right? There is a lot going on here. What is a true IRR? <laughs> ah, the internal rate of return, the magic shiny number that every GP waves in front of the investor's eyes. Look at the IRR. Don't look over here. Look at the, you know what I mean? Get educated, man. So we do a lot of work in educating our investors first to bring them up the gradient. And what it makes, um, what it makes for is, is good bedfellows, as Shakespeare said, right? We're good bedfellows. We have expectations of each other, me, the GP, them, the LP in the investment position. And, um, you know, we make our distributions. We don't just make them one time. We make them every time on time. I'm going to say something that I can back up. Neither myself nor my partner in over combined 50 years of real estate experience have lost one dime of investor capital nor missed one quarterly distribution in over 50 years. Why? Because I pass on a hundred deals to buy one. If we put a deal in front of our investment community, it's a good freaking deal. It's fundamentals are solid. It's analysis is solid. It's been underwritten 10 times. It's been re-underwritten. All the scenarios are played out. So there's a lot of work that goes in to the back end of being an expert. It's not just a TV show, right? It's not, I did, I did a deal in 1972 and I made 20 bucks. I know everything <laughs> there is about real estate. You know what I'm saying, Joe? You know that guy. Or I, I never right. lost money on a deal. I feel like that sometimes, I, I don't know. I feel like if you've been in the game 20, 30 years, you've definitely lost money on a deal. It doesn't mean you lost investors' money because you can make up Thank for you. it personally. Oh, but I, made, I lost money, brother. I there's always that. a deal that lost money. Oh, sometimes yeah. if anyone goes, oh, I never lost a deal, money on a deal in 20 years. Well, there, yeah. I don't I get red light. <laughs> They're a liar. And that's why being a wordsmith is important. I've lost money yeah. to make sure that my investors made money, right? And that's important. That's, that's the authenticity. I think that's the true expert. You know, I, I remember when, um, when, we start, when we started the structure that we're in today, we were putting an earnest money down on a deal. It was about 150 grand. It wasn't a lot of money. But my partner, Walter, he's like, he called me up and he's, he said, I'm sweating. Why are you sweating? He said, I just authorized 150000 out of the fund for earnest money on a deal. Yeah. I go, why are you sweating? He goes, it's not our money. I go, are you all right, Walter? He goes, I know, I know. It's a great deal, but I'm still sweating. It's the first one. I go, my brother, it's the first of many. And then the, you know, the commentary from the investors were like, hey, appreciate it on time, every time. Thank you very much. Good job. Great job. Love the T-shirt you sent us. You know what I mean? Like you built that community. Uh, with the investors going forward. So what we are and what every syndicator has to be is to be a steward of capital.
you have to be an awesome steward for the capital. Every single dime is treated as if it was my own, right? In doing so, you begin to build momentum in your reputation aside from I wrote a book. I was on a TV show. I got a coaching program, you know, all the other shit that's out there. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it takes, it takes time to build that, that reciprocity and relationship with an investor. But once it's there, um, you probably know this yourself. They're with you for life. Right. And then they tell their friends and the friends and the friends I've got my, my Walter's got like three meetings today on referral basis from um, one of the guys who came in with us early in our, in our fund structure. So yeah, it's, it's a good time to be in this business, man. I think, you know, or at least my thoughts are, we're trying to get this theory around, you know, a lot of main street, we'll call it investors away from the wall street, you know, and yeah. from hedge funds and all that, and yeah. kind of take yeah. control of their own investments. But at the same time, we're also telling them to be able to do due diligence, underwrite deals, and maybe they're not the expert there or have no time. So for a lot of people that are looking to invest with other sponsors out there and mm. are limited in time, or maybe they don't have the time yeah. to learn how to underwrite the deal a sponsor puts in front of them, you know, what are some things that they could look at you know, that may make them more comfortable to get in with a certain person? Yeah, that's a great question, brother. And, and this is going to sound so big picture and nonspecific, but it's the most truthful answer there is. Is it a good story? It has to be a good story. Every deal has to be a good story based on fact. So give you an example. Uh, we're closing on 81 doors. This is the story. Now, this is what my investors here to give you a flavor and a feel for that. We're closing on 81 doors. It's uh, two complexes, um, 55 and 26, 55 unit workforce housing, Eustis, Florida, just northeast of um, Orlando. Then the 26 doors, the other half of the acquisition is in um, Leesburg, nice little community, also workforce housing, okay? So now they get to see them. So the 55, CBS Construction, Cinderblock and Stucco, hasn't been loved for the past five years. The current owner has only been there once apparently, right? Once in the past five years. So with that, it's created a non-community oriented group. Occupancies dropped down to 85%. Rents are about 10% below market value. On the buy side, it's got some really good attractive uh, financing in place that we can step into on assumptive loan, get a new loan for 1.5, raise 500 in capex do the facility over not a not a it's it's a core plus plus it's not a value add but it's a little bit more than a core plus go in there raise the numbers up have some tenant challenges we're going to let those tenants leave because in florida there's no moratorium there's only a 12 month um, lease uh, enforceability so we'll go in there we shoot some beautiful video of it we put a nice one page presentation together we show that to investors. We show them some video from on site. They can now see it. The story makes sense. And our targeted returns are your 6% PREF, 10 to 14%. And then you get to participate in the equity on the back end because we're going to reposition it and sell it in three years. So now they begin to see the story. They don't have to do tons of underwriting in it. But then the next level in is you just show them when we raise the rents up to market value, we increase the amount of money the building makes. You see how simple it is? We increase the money the building makes. And because we increase the amount of money that the building makes, the net operating income in the marketplace where these things sell at a six and a half percent or a six and a half cap, it raises the value of the building by 750,000. 
we have buyers waiting in the wings to take out these kinds of assets. So you can participate in that 750,000 in profit on the back end as well. And by the way, we'll give you 75% of all that profit and we'll give you 75% of the cash flow over the 6% preferred. What do you think, Mr. Jones? Is that a deal that you could wrap your head around? Would you like a little more information on that one? I definitely like some more information. I, better than the thieves up in Wall Street, right? Right. See, that's <laughs> right. But look, man, that's, that's, that's it. Then when you give them the one sheet and the little underwriting and they don't need to know everything, they don't need to know what we're going to do from with cost segregation, uh, you know, accelerate the depreciation tax benefits through their K1, you know, it just confuses the shit out of them. After that. <laughs> it I, does. And sometimes it doesn't make so much of a dif difference to a passive investor. That's not a correct. real estate pro. Correct. Correct. Most, so most, the story. The story yeah. is important, Joe. Yeah. So based on these two, uh, you know, buildings, how are you got like that? Those are located in Florida, those examples. So how are you, yeah. is that the location you choose to invest in? Yeah. Yeah. Look, man, we are solely dialed in. So we have a couple of things going on at Freedom Venture, right? We have a fund, which is a 72 month hold. That fund structure has a very, very specific, what we call buy box. The buy box being B-class assets, meaning they're not super sexy, but they're not super crappy. B-class assets, 50, well, 20 to 150 units. We stay with the smaller class assets because there's more opportunity and greater yield. Yield meaning return, okay? So we stay in that buy box, core plus meaning core, it cash flows when we buy it, plus meaning we're gonna do a little bit of love and work to these things, make them more profitable. Nine times out of 10, it's repositioning of the management company, who's too expensive and don't know what they're doing. We put our guys in there and then um, deferred maintenance or repairs. And we put our construction guys in there. We then make everything beautiful, paint, landscape, gardening, kitchens, bathrooms, bada bing, bada boom, nothing too heavy. That sits in the fund with all the others that sit in the fund. The fund is a hundred million dollar raise. We're about 50% of where we want to be right now. We're making quarterly distributions to the investors already in the fund. So that sits there on its on its on its own. It's the it's the mothership, if you will, at Freedom Venture. That is consistently raising money and buying assets. That exits out in 72 months. Now, the reason we're buying everything in Florida is because my partner Walter has over 25 years in the Gulf Coast region of Florida. What does that mean? It means he's the first guy to get a phone call when a deal goes goes sideways. From Pensacola all the way down to Fort Myers. I for uh, route 41 up the uh, up the coast, I 75 down the center of the country. If you look at the map, that's our picking area all the way up the side of the state. So we get first call. We got infrastructure in place, property management, like I said, as well as construction. So having that track record in that market, which is now probably the number one market, everybody's going to Florida. We've already been there, churning and burning and buying for years. So that's why we focus on Florida. So the fund is doing its thing. And then the 81 doors that I just mentioned to you, well, that's outside of the fund because it doesn't meet the buy box of the fund. It's a little more aggressive on its repositioning and construction. So that one we do is a one-off deal, a syndicated asset. That's a $3 million raise. Um, we've got about one and a half million raised really without talking to too many people about it. That one will be a 36-month hold instead of the 72 months all Florida because of the track record being in place. That's why I don't need to go anywhere else. When, the, when all those deals are done, then we'll go somewhere else. But right now we don't need to.
I agree. Concentration allows you to execute at a higher yeah. level from management and deal yeah. flow, correct? Yeah, it's economies of scale, right? Yeah. It's economies of scale. And it, you'll be amazed to see how many of these mom and pop organizations down there, these smaller assets are just so poorly managed, right? So poorly managed that the demand for this housing is as high as it's ever been. 1,500 people a day are moving to the state of Florida. 1,500, still the number one retirement community in the country. And for every retiree, one retiree statistically, it still brings three to four service jobs for that one retiree. So the demand is, is, is through the roof. We don't see that changing at all. And then these mom and pops that are hurting, we're dialed right into those smaller asset classes. So I'd rather buy you know, 550 unit complexes than two 250 unit complexes, you know? Not that there's anything wrong with the larger ones, but here's the challenge. Our exit strategy is a seven year hold is to sell them. Well, guess what? There's a lot more buyers at the 150 doors than there are at the 250, $500, $700,000 doors. Does that make sense? Yep, totally. So yeah, we, we, we dialed in a, a, you know, a methodology on the way in and a methodology on the way out to meet the, uh, the returns for the investors. Now, I guess most investors are asking all these types of questions over the last year is, you know, what about this pandemic slash COVID going on? How are we, you know, predicting out uh, rent growth over the next yeah. few years? What's happening with Florida? Is it yeah. actual net migration that's making a difference? Is it a bubble? You know, looking at 2000s, Florida right. went way up and came way yeah. back down, right? Yeah. So give yeah. us some yeah. insights of how you kind of underwrite that and where you think everything is going. Yeah. So first thing we do is most of our competitors are under underwriting rent growth at 5%. That, that's a formula <laughs> for failure right out of the gate. We underwrite our rent growth at 3%. There's an old adage in real estate, right? We make our money when we buy. We realize the profits when we actually cash flow and sell. So a lot of guys and girls are out there right now buying on a 3 to 4% yield, predicting growth. Well, that's what they did in 2006 and seven, right? So we absolutely don't do that. So the way that we underwrite is to absorb challenges going forward. First of all, the buy side. We're very aggressive on our buy side. We get the very best deals. We get the off-market deals. Secondly, our loan-to-value, our debt structure. Uh, we go in at a 65% max loan-to-value on our assets. So we, we have an equity position, if you will, going in. And then finally, it's a case of understanding which secondary and tertiary markets inside of Florida uh, are giving us the biggest pop, right? Which ones are giving us the biggest the, the biggest opportunities? And then I'm not going to tell you what those are. You'd have to look at our portfolio, but yeah. um, you know, it's no it's knowing where to buy it and having that first opportunity going in. So very big picture, we we consider ourselves to be in a 50% loan to value on these assets based on the buy side and the and the um, and the leverage side of these things. Plus, we buy based on the actual numbers on the date of acquisition. So I don't buy on pro formas ever. I buy on actual numbers and sell on pro formas. Couple more things. Florida, super, super friendly to us as business entrepreneurs and, and property owners. Also, the, uh, the fact that not paying your rent doesn't fly in Florida. You will pay your rent in Florida, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on you know which side of the equation you're sitting on. But you know, we don't, we don't have to challenge uh, ourselves with that. And to be very honest with you, we're freaking awesome at what we do. <laughs> we're, we are. We are incredibly, incredibly good at what we do. And because of that, 
we, we end up buying our competitors' assets because they don't know what they're doing. They're just winging it. They think that real estate is always going to go up. It won't. It will plateau. And we, we have very, very um, confident underwriting to know that we can, we can ride out the plateau and any correction that comes along. My partner, Walter, he said the other day, he said, you know, because we, we do a weekly webinar and the conversation of the webinar was, what's the difference between 2008 and 2020, 21? And the subcontext was nothing. They're both the same. Foreclosures are coming, right? <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, Walter and I then went at it with two, two, you know, two thoughts of, of, of concept around it. And his ideas make sense, obviously. He said, you know, he honestly believes that it's going to Vegas and the other areas that got brutalized in 2008. Well, they're, they're kind of at their height right now. So they're going to sit out the corrections. New York has already started. Boston's already started. Chicago has already started. These markets are going to be hurting. They're going to have a very, very tough time of it. So, you know, we believe that, um, you know, the underlying reasons are different from 2008 to today. You know, before it was a uh, it was a capital squeeze. Now there's more money in the marketplace than ever before. Even if it's not legitimate money, it's still there, right? Another one point nine trillion dollars. Thank you, President Biden. <laughs> so you know, it, it all it all has a has an impact. So people statistically, emotionally, culturally, always pay for their shelter first, right? That's what they do, right? So we we put ourselves in a position to receive those payments. So. Obviously, with the printing of, uh, of money and the talk of inflation, in theory, things are supposed to cost more. Whether or not incomes go up, we'll see soon. So yeah. my thought is, how, in the underwriting process, how big of a factor do you look at when it comes to the rent expense as a percentage of the median income within that demographic you know, area that you're investing in and how that's going to grow? Yeah, that's a great question as well. So, you, you know, it's the B class, C class assets. Workforce housing is pretty much on par, right? The median income needs to correlate properly with the, with the rents. So am I, again, it's the buy side, Joe. Am I buying it well enough to be able to bring it up to market rent? I think what a lot of people do is, is they, they try and buy an asset with the intent of pushing it above market rents, right? <laughs> I'm going to make it so freaking good that everybody's going to want to live here. Well, guess what? That doesn't work. And it's, it's been proven to not work uh, consistently. You know, that's rolling the dice, those kinds of concepts going forward. So there's, there's you know, there's algorithms uh, that, that our team runs to, to show us go, no go. My, my third manager is a young guy by the name of Eric Wilson, who worked for uh, Fidelity. And uh, he's 26 years old. He brings the youth and the good looks to the team. Walter and I are in our early 50s. But what Eric does is he runs a lot of algorithms, data scrape algorithms that are proprietary to us that look at the data that you're talking about. I look at population. I look at job growth. I look at, you know, the median income, median rents, and he runs all of that data. And it shows us specifically the areas we want to be in. It also shows us what our push is. So internally, we call it a push factor. Can we, and the push to market rent, not above and beyond. And then on top of that, it's actually walking the assets and walking the neighborhoods. Who am I competing with? You know, am I already the very best in the area? So I've got nowhere to go. Well, I'm not buying that one. Next, we move on. I'd rather buy two or three around it and bring it up to the best rather than trying to, to, to be the best and push it going forward. But, you know, this is everything's data driven. 
Everything's data driven to, to give you the go, no go, right? Red or green button. Green is go, red is bad. So we just, we simplify it. Remember I said earlier, right? Simplifying what appears to be complicated. So to simplify, you know, in that aspect, a lot of people tend to say, I want over 80 or hundred units so I could simplify the management being on the grounds, right? So how do you use that to advantage, to your advantage buying the small units and how do you handle that kind of objection not having management maybe on staff there or on site? Yeah, good question. So that's geographic. So we like the cluster approach, right? If I can buy, let's say I can buy six 50-unit apartment complexes. And if I can cluster that acquisition, so we use a 5, 10, 15-mile radius of each other. So we've got software that will zoom in and I'll actually go and hunt and pick units around one that's really good so I can get a couple more of them in at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah. That gives me the economies of scale without having on-site management. Plus, we use, um, we use a lot of... Um, uh, it's management software for the tenant base. So they don't have to have, you know, Joe, the, Joe, the, the, the property manager's office on the corner, you know, where Joe sits there smoking a cigarette with his feet up on the counter, right? You know, we, we don't need Joe, right? We've got software that can do that for us. You know what I'm saying? So that's how we get around that. What other things, I guess, to leave off, uh, you know, for investors investing in these deals, yeah. some tax advantages or maybe just using retirement accounts, like, you know, other ways that they can access capital to invest in your deals. What is. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we spend a lot of time talking about what we call lazy money, right? And there is a ton of it out there right now. I always say if you, if your money isn't working at, at a targeted double digit return, then it's lazy, right? CD savings accounts, retirement accounts, you know, the company 401k that became a 201k in 2008, <laughs> You know, it's now a, now a 301k trying to get back to a 401k, whatever. But, you know, even the management of that money, very few people realize the, the, what happens with a compounding cost in comparison to a compounding return. The cost structure inside those things can brutalize the long-term valuation. There's a report that comes out every year that says um, the average, I think it's 55-year-old 50, in our country, the average amount of their 401k retirement accounts is about $150,000 because they've spent their whole lives borrowing against it and using it and being fearful of it. They don't understand long-term capital growth. But so what we do is, is we help a lot of people with taking uh, retirement accounts and making it a self-directed retirement account. Uh, we can do that through what are called solo 401ks for business owners, um, or we can do it at just a self-directed retirement account, uh, an SDIRA. We work with a company called Horizon Trust that partners with us to service those clients. I I was, it's funny, man. I'm I'm that guy who doesn't look as a look like look at a house as a home. It's just a it's just an investment to me. So you know, which is which is a, a bone of contention with my wife. But hey, we'll we'll get there. But um, equity, equity and properties. What if what if you could borrow equity against your primary residence from the bank at less than four percent? Oh, by the way, you can right. So borrow the equity in your own primary residence at four percent. Invest that capital into a, a high yield investment, uh, like we offer at Freedom Venture Investments. And now you get to play the game with somebody else's money, right? You get to make, make money on the money. These are advanced strategies. Not everybody's comfortable with them, but um, I've seen it work time and time again in my own career. So there's always a way to do it if, you, uh, if you're motivated enough to do it or sit there and don't, right? It's not for everyone. Keep getting what you've been getting. Uh, keep doing what you've been doing. You keep getting what you've been getting. Kind of concepts, you know. So you know, maybe maybe ask some questions. That's the idea behind that. 
Well, you also have some kids, right? A few kids. I do. I got a whole bunch of them. <laughs> Not <laughs> just three. What What advice are you giving them? You know, as they grow up, that you've learned mm-hmm. along your way. Yeah, that's that's a good question. So, because everyone like, has kids, well, I wouldn't say everyone, but you know, a lot of people, younger yeah. investors, they all create families and they're all trying to teach sure. their kids some type of lessons in life. And so, I think sure. it's important to mention what may be working for you. It's tough, man. I've got a I got a twenty seven year old millennial from my from my second marriage, right? <laughs> and um, he's a computer programmer, earns about one hundred and fifty grand a year, lives with his girlfriend in Salem, Massachusetts. You know. Doing what he wants. It doesn't work hard. It comes easy to him. He's smart, right? But he inherited real estate from his grandmother when she passed away. So that piece of real real estate, two two flat, uh, two family property in in the Northeast here in in, uh, in Massachusetts, you know, market value seven hundred fifty thousand. So the kid lived off of the cash flow of the house from eighteen to twenty one, right? I I managed it, but he lived off yeah, of the cash yeah. flow, right? Now at twenty one. He says to me, dad, what, what grandma's house? He said, that's dead equity. He said, why don't we get a HELOC on that thing? And maybe we could start lending it. So he, he'd start to learn about leverage, right? He, he, he listened enough to the old man to know what was going on. He got a, maybe a 250, I think it was, or maybe half a million line of credit uh, from the bank at five. And dad lent it for him in, in, hard mo- in uh, buy, fix and flip transactions, hard money lending, you know, 10, 12%, whatever it was. So the kid was making 7% on the bank's money when he was 21 years old. So he understands that there's a different way to play, right? Now, my little ones, my 11-year-old and my nine-year-old, you know, my nine-year-old, he's, he's funny. Like they absorb this stuff through osmosis. Like they listen. They, they really do. They, they, they're always paying attention to what we say, how we say it, and what we do. Example, nine years old. He goes, Dad, I need to get onto one of those sites and buy some YouTube merch. <laughs> merch not merchandise merch i go okay what's that and it's like a like a dragon symbol he wants to be his his logo i say okay i said well what are you gonna do with it he said well here's what you're gonna do now. i'm gonna get some merch and then on your radio show we're gonna promote my youtube channel so that i get some more followers i said i don't think people are gonna follow you he goes why i said well you know you're not recognizable yet you gotta take and this is what he says to me joe he says dad what are you crazy I'm the son of the greatest real estate entrepreneur ever. That's what he says, right? Dave Seymour from the TV show Flipping Boston. Now, obviously, I'm his father, right? I got a red cape and red boots and everything. He hasn't realized that I'm just a man yet, right? But your question is, is, you know, what advice do you give them? You know, the older one, he already got it. Leverage is key. The little guys, they already got it. Where do you want to be when you grow up? I want to own a business. That's what they say. I want, I want to be in business. I want to run a business. He even walks around, both of them walk around with their own little business cards that say CEO on them, right? It's that scene out of uh, uh, Facebook there, the Facebook movie when he's got his own card, CEO, bitch. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> my, they don't have the, the, the bitch on the bottom. But that, that, that's the advice. I don't, I don't tell my kids to go work for somebody else. You know, what their journey is going to look like, Joe, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I got a lot of faith. I talked to, to my big guy upstairs and he says, you're, you're going in the right direction. Keep, keep doing what you've been doing, you know? So, you know, that's the advice I give them. I don't sit down with words at this age. Uh, I let them absorb it and watch and see what's going on. You know, Do you, so, you think it's them just being around and watching you. They are yeah. absorbing that naturally, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, why, why are the one percenters, the one percenters? 
because they've been doing the same thing generationally, right? The sad part, happy part, it's not a moral thing. You're always going to need ditch diggers, baby. You're always going to need workers. And if you're, if you're happy and content being the worker, be the worker. There's no right. It's not better than. I'm no better than. The one percenters are no better than any one of us, man. They just play a different freaking game with a different rule book. I personally felt like I got shafted. I felt like somebody stuck it to me because I was doing what I was doing, thinking it was it was supposed to give me financial independence and freedom. <laughs> what it did was cost me two marriages and nearly my house. So, you know, I felt like I got the crappy end of the stick, you know? It just set a great example for the kids. And like usual, they'll absorb what they want and go with it or not go with it, right? Yeah, they will. They are. They're their own independent little creatures, man. They really are. I tried beating it out of them, but social services showed up and stopped me <laughs> doing it. Sorry. That's no, not true. I don't beat my kids. Well, maybe what? No, I don't beat my kids. No. Well, so let's leave off with our you know, last question we always ask all of our great yeah. listeners. And what is the biggest thing that you have implemented in your life as increased your net worth you know you asked me this before we started recording it's probably still the same answer it's doing what my wife tells me to do my wife is incredibly intuitive as to the people that are around me you know she she senses sharks in the water we'll put it that way whereas i'm I'm just you know i i give everybody a hundred everybody starts at a hundred and loses points rather than you know starts at zero and gains points i just it's just the way my my attitude is I go out with an open heart, you know, but uh, she's, she's been real good about, you know, just, just keeping the checks and the balances in place for me. You know, is that the road that you want to run down that fast? You know, why don't you just slow up a little bit in that direction, <laughs> dude, and, and go this way. And, you know, for that, uh, you know, that's part of the, the, the solidity of the love and the marriage that we have is the fact that, you know, she, she brings to the table, the things that, I don't have, you know, so she's probably the one, but she does like to spend my money too. So I don't know if that works both ways. You know what I'm <laughs> hey, look, as long as the spending is less than the, the money coming in, right, I think you're right. still always in a good position, right? Right, right, right. Isn't that you're what a good investor is? As long as That's he's right, investing right. more than he's, you know, what spending? is it? You don't, you don't go broke making money, right? <laughs> look, it was a great having you on today, Dave. And, uh, you know, for the listeners that want to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, a couple of different ways. You can get us at freedomventure.com, www.freedomventure.com. Um, if you go to that site, scroll down the bottom, there's a, uh, a white paper there that we put together, really good informational piece. You know, why, why would or why should alternative investments, commercial real estate be part of a balanced portfolio? Um, so you can go there. Your listeners can also go if they're like buy, fix and flip, or they want to analyze smaller deals, stuff like that. They can go to daveseymour.club, daveseymour, S-E-Y-M-O-U-R.club. And on there is a toolbox that they can, uh, they can download and use. Uh, it's just analysis sheets that have been in my business for years. Uh, buy, fix and flip analysis sheets, uh, smaller units up to like maybe eight doors, uh, cash flow in construction schedules and uh, oh my checklist checklist that I've used uh, for, for decades now walking property so just some free stuff and if that doesn't float your boat and you just want to get on the old <laughs> rag and bone telephone you can call me directly at 781-922-4418 let's just have a chat see if there's a fit see if it makes sense for you and for us and then we can go from there so I appreciate you having me on Joe this was fun brother Thank you. And you enjoy your day. I will, man. Take care.
Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and a review. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. Joe Robert Show.